Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Hey everybody, welcome back to Exes for Podcast, the show where we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and pop stars week after week through their many monthly titles. Now I'm Nico, and you guys can catch me snicking around the Marvel Universe over on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Hey everybody, it's Nathan. You can find me online at Desler AOA at Twitter and Instagram as Desler AOA, like Desler in the Age of Apocalypse, and Desler who appears in this issue and does a magic Sailor Moon type reveal to her date who when she's dressed in a varsity chat. Jacket, what? Yeah, but no, I'm... seriously. Seriously. Yes, all of that. It's totally Sailor Moon in that. But anyway. <laughs> it's so true. And it's like, I have to hope that maybe Jason Liu has heard some of our coverage and heard what huge Sailor Moon nut jobs we are and how much we love these Infinity comics. It yes. has been so exciting to see the Marvel Universe transform under this new digital age. And that it's happening as so many exciting things are happening over in X-Men, you know, Destinies of X is just turning into like such a banner period. I know you were on the coverage for X-Men Red number one. I know I was on the kickoff for X-Force. How are you feeling about the revitalization of the X-Men universe? So far, the Destiny of X line, and I'm going to start it like with Immortal X-Men, like just in the first few issues in, like I am absolutely loving it. And I have to say, like, I have absolutely loved the Destiny of X era. Like I was hoping for an era full of like intrigue and fun. And that's what we're getting. And we're like not just getting all the intrigue. We're getting just like these amazingly fun comics that are utilizing the Infinity line to an amazing degree like the one that we're about to talk about right now it's so fun and it fits perfectly actually within the overarching arc of Krakoa I mean it's got a mutant pop star she's more a rock star Lila Cheney and we've got mentions of Dazzler and they both use their new fame as being faces of mutantdom and unfortunately mainly just performing at Krakoa but that's great because it's going to hone their craft but it's using that and it's they're like cool how do we get back in the human eye because we've got to try to sell these friends. yeah you know this is what's so exciting about X-Men Unlimited if you tried to take a full issue of Immortal X-Men to go like full-on phonogram I'd be like okay it's Gillen hopefully he can get McKelvey for the cover but if you tried to have X-Force drop everything for a minute and do Quentin Quire's favorite Eric Clapton covers I would (laughs) just not be here for it and I just tried to think of someone who Ben Percy would really latch on to. <laughs> Quentin Quire covers Layla, but he like changes it to various cuckoo names. He's like Sophie. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love it. And it's yeah. all very skinny puppy. It's yeah. all. Oh, it's so good. Oh, I'm super into this cover. Quentin, hit me up, man. I'll produce it. And I love that you started it with Immortal X-Men. Immortal X-Men was one that we all had so much fun talking about. And, you know, I'll be honest, I'm going to say something controversial as much as I thought X-Men Red was equally as on par with Immortal X-Men. I maybe didn't love the first issue of Marauders the way I wanted to. I don't know. There was just some part of disconnect for me. 
I love that just like you said about this book, it's all about exploring the possibilities and the excitement of a new world created by Krakoa. But that's maybe the one book that I think might take a minute for me to warm up to. Has there been any title in Destinies of X where you're maybe more looking forward to what's coming than what's come out so far? I would have to say Immortal in Red, I'm intrigued as fuck. Like, holy hell, I need all of it. Marauders, okay, I want to give Stephen the credit that he deserves. Like, he really made it a cohesive team. He made everybody have a reason. I'm just, something about it was a little off for me, like you said, and it's intriguing intriguing enough to stick around and see what's going to go with it but it's not like i'm not looking forward to it at the same level as i am the next immortal or the x-men red and x-force is kind of the same to me where it's doing a little bit of the same it was before although i've really come to appreciate percy's take on these characters i think as much as we hate beast in this era i think he is very well written and he's written with some great reasoning behind him like i do i like the turn the character is taking no but it is a very well executed take and it's very consistently done and i love percy setting up sage as kind of a counter to beast in this but it's still it's not as much of a break as say like immortal red or even marauders have been so it's like feels like the same story continuing and i just want to see how that's going to go yeah and it's not even that it's a complaint because i feel like i'll probably have the same thing to say about new mutants when that starts up and it's it's all very your mileage may vary if you were already loving X-Force, I think you're getting more of what you'd love. If you were already loving New Mutants, it'll, I have to assume, still be in that same strong caliber that Vita Ayala and Rod Race have been dialing into for the last year. But perhaps the excitement for me about Destinies of X is the new places we're trying to go. And yeah, I think you're right. Immortal X-Men and X-Men Red really are the two books that are saying, throw everything you know out and start over. Yeah. I think the Marauders thing that maybe is sticking with me a little is I feel the Shi'ar have been a little overdone and it's been a little all over the place lately. And I'm just worried to see that team who I'm really looking forward to that team. Like that lineup is divine. A whole lot of mutants that I have so much love for. And Cassandra Nova is in the book too. But, <laughs> but yep, 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 same. I, they're going into another Shi'ar epic, which is going to like looks like it's going to like shake the foundations of the Shi'ar mutant relationship again. And I, just, I feel we've done that so many times, and I have a little concern as to how it could go. But I do trust that the writing team and the creative team is going to do it in a good way. You know, my computer background, as we speak, is a collage of all of the covers of. The Asgard Shi'ar War from Thor, which knowing all of the continued evolution of that story in Avengers and knowing that we are barreling toward Axe. And, you know, I made this point in a recent room and I just want to make it to you again, Nathan, because I'd love to get your perspective on this. I am hearing a lot of people very nervous about Axe. And I kind of feel like, you know, as, as two of the leads on this show, we have kind of like a responsibility to like calm the show the fuck down. And there's everybody's so nervous about this crossover. And all I can think to say is, number one, Kieran Gillen and Jason Aaron were responsible for like the two best parts of AVX back in the day, the Wolverine and the X-Men story and the Uncanny X-Men story. And they're two writers that have been friends and co-workers for more than a decade they are two writers with a lot of experience on this title gillen is not gonna fuck up his first major x-men run and 
The other big thing, these books work in cycles. The X-Men have never been in a better position culturally from like people looking in through Wikipedia and BuzzFeed. Avengers is probably a little bit more due for a reset with the movies going to be focusing on X-Men right now. How do you feel going into Axe? I'm confident that this is the right team, even if I'm nervous about the story, but I would love to get your opinion as well. Talking about Judgment Day, right? Avengers Eternal X-Men? Okay. Yeah, I just keep calling it Axe because I don't know what the fuck else to I don't actually know its name and I think Miracle Man is going to show up in the middle of it anyway so <laughs> I don't think it's going to matter I think I'm just going to sit on the floor crying <laughs> I appreciate you checking because I keep being like yeah that body spray comic that's coming up <laughs> oh Judgment Day it is Judgment Day okay I am really looking forward to Judgment Day because the Eternals under Gillen has been amazing and what I've seen in that first issue of Immortal X-Men I know that Gillen really has like a hold on those two sets of characters. I am nervous like you are with any Avenger, like especially after uh, AVX. <sighs> like that was, I, I'm very nervous about any team up between the X-Men and any other group. IVX also. How to say uh, IVX did not help anyone's case. <laughs> did not help it either. So yeah, there is a lot of pressure and you're going into it already thinking, holy hell like this could be a mess but with the creative team that i know we have going into it have higher hopes than for it to be a mess because i know gillen is such a thoughtful creator that he's not going to create something that wildly undoes what some people love about characters like ivx was cause behind the friction between the two teams was like the mutants are like hey you're killing us and they're like but our mist but our mist they're special and like it seems like if they'd communicated they'd be like oh okay cool we're killing you guys. Yeah, seriously. Inhumans, tell me all about your Confederate flags. I'm so... so... Yeah. I don't want to see another war of fandoms against each other online spaces because IVX caused a lot of hatred from X-Men fans against the Inhumans and the Inhumans fans to go against X-Men, which there's not as many Inhumans fans. I gotta say, all seven of them must have been so sad. (laughs) But, you know, there there are Inhumans fans out there, and I enjoy a good Inhuman story, and I didn't like to see the direction it was going. We didn't get some fun stuff out of the whole era, like Frenzy working with Crystal, but that's about it. Lady Shine, Emma, you know, punching Black Bolt in the throat. That was cool, too. You know, so I actually love doing these. Funny story. So I edit these things on my end when I edit them. Just sort of like as I'm going, I realize that we're not quite at time. And I just go to record an Infinity comic because I love these Infinity comics. They're so much fun. And I start this one. And the second I see Dazzler, I'm like, nope, fuck that. And I throw my phone because I already know I'm not doing this one by myself. There's no way I'm going to cover X-Men Unlimited Infinity comics number 28 featuring dazzler and lila cheney all by myself so i'm dating a pop star is such an incredible moment that uses everything i love about these infinity comics and it utilizes characters who frankly you know if it hadn't been for the announcement of extremists i Uh, exterminators exterminators oh my god thank you i'm so sorry i forgot which murder title it was (laughs) If it hadn't been for the announcement of that, Nathan, I think you were going to literally start like chewing on the walls because we have been denied Dazzler. And if anybody deserves a minute, if we are finally saying fuck anything that's silly and just enjoy it, no one deserves it more than Dazzler. 
Agreed, agreed. She is such a fun, light character, and she has such a strong fan base. She has such a strong fan base that... They have the disco fever. They do. They have disco fever. They are like, burn, baby, burn to Krakoa if they don't, like, get another Absolutely, yes. (laughs) They're like, burn, baby, burn. They're like, burn that island down, Mystique, because Dazzler's only doing concerts and she's not even on panel. The title was originally Disco Inferno, but Dazzler decided that it wasn't right to stoke the fires of hatred and fandom. Thank you. (laughs) That rocks. I'm totally here for you. I fucking love this. But yeah, like, she's the cameo queen in this even because, like, she does appear and she's mentioned a lot, but she doesn't have any lines herself. But that appearance that Dazzler is singing on stage with, like, that updated jumpsuit is, whoa, it's divine. Like, it's, like, all of her classic disco-ness with, like, some, like, extra, like, lines and blueness and, like, a skirt. Sign me the fork up for it. And, like, and even the cute little, like, her in disguise on the date look. It was so cute. Like, I like the idea of Dazzler just being, like, a dumpy brunette and, like, like one of those teen movies where then she gets a makeover and she's like, I'm Dazzler now. Or she's, oh my Hannah, God. Montana. she's Hannah Montana. She's yes. Hannah. I mean, first of all, she looks like fucking Thessaly. That is <laughs> the first goddamn thing. And I, I really, can I just, how fucking great is it that they had a show about mutant celebrities and the one they wanted for the opening montage is Dazzler. Yes. That's so, uh, because do you know what this issue made me realize? We have it hard as Dazzler stands, but fuck if you're a Lila Cheney fan. Oh my God. Uh, oh, and I love Lila Cheney. Lila Cheney is so amazing, but yes, she does not get very much respect. She just pops up here and there. and Oh, she uh, pops up, does she? <laughs> From her Dyson sphere. At least it's not a Dyson's vacuum sphere. That would be bad. That would be great cross-marketing, though. But anyway, you've got Dazzler being, you know, the the more known among the fandom as the most important mutant celebrity. But we've got to remember the first mutant celebrity, although she didn't come out as a mutant until well after Dazzler was outed, was Lila Cheney. Lila Cheney was so big when Jubilee got introduced to the team. She's like, who the hell is Dazzler? But she's hanging out with Lila Cheney. <laughs> That's old folkies music. So, like, you know, she was a famous star in her own right who just took her own time to come out as a- so my friend you know what i love to do i love to pull out those fucking numbers because you're right lila cheney is sort of set up as the old lady version of dazzler kind of sort of a little <laughs> bit but like so fucking hell lila cheney including this issue has ever appeared 60 times no way <laughs> Oh my god, she's only appeared 60 times. And I know like including this. And the last time I remember seeing her besides in Krakoa era, like just as a background character, was she was in that Captain Marvel issue for Yeah, absolutely. Like and that was I was like, what? (laughs) Like, this is interesting team up. Okay. But yeah, and, and Lila has such a odd history, right? She is an amazingly dynamic character who unfortunately had a 
a very age-inappropriate relationship, depending on how old you actually think Lila is. But Sam Guthrie was still 16 or 17 at the time, and she was definitely well over it. So sometimes in fandoms, she gets settled down by that fact. Obviously, I don't like to blame the fictional characters. It's the mainly male writers of that era who created those aspects of the characters. So I, I try, I forgive that because especially if they're not presented in that same way ever since. But yes, there is a large chunk of fandom who does remember Lila Janey, but also doesn't want to let go of the fact that writers put her with Sam Guthrie. And I'm just going to point out that in your complete defense of her 60 appearances at least 50 were written by men kelly sue DeConnick is responsible for at least three in her captain marvel run but chris claremont is responsible for 20 and that's 15 of the first 30 so yeah. it's a lot to be owed to men a bit outside of her age range yep. and i think something i do want to say and this is about recognizing power structures if this was the real world and a woman was advancing on a younger man who is of questionable age exactly as you said the onus would be on the woman but because she's fictional the onus is on the creator and to that end i want to mention what i think might be the source of that in some ways i think every guy just thinks that if he met a hot older chick she would be so into him and could see past his inexperience and could see the hot guy he's going to become someday and i think it's reverse engineered wish fulfillment which is why lila cheney is even a bit old by the standards of our characters because she's representing who chris claremont would have kind of wanted to be his mrs robinson okay and so i think lila cheney's continued success is a result of the incredible grains of character-driven honesty that exist in her character that sort of overwhelm that let's go with seminal intent behind her character (laughs) to get to somebody really fantastic. And it is, of course, of note that her sidekick replaced her real early on when Guido became, I really feel like saying his name should put us on a list, when (laughs) Strong Guy slash Guido became a member of X-Men and X-Factor. Yeah. Yeah, that era was fascinating for that right because i mean guido first appeared in that new mutants arc and i don't remember the issue that new mutants arc where karma is possessed by the shadow king and they've kidnapped some kids and then sunspot and amara have to work for and then like lila cheney gets dragged in because lila cheney would know where the gladiators are and that's where we're introduced to guido in the first place and up until like i think from that appearance maybe he appeared uh a handful of times like i know he appeared when dazzler washed up at lila cheney's house with no memory after the siege perilous and other than that like he went to muir island for some reason which was never explained but then then he went into x-factor after that so like he got a lot more he got a lot more characterization than lila cheney was ever allowed in the appearances that lila had during that era she would almost like during the 90s she was the stand-in for dazzler so if you needed a famous person who's going to be pro-mutant you would put lila cheney in because they shipped dazzler off to mojo world (laughs) 
So they're like, just have Dazzler appear. I mean, just have Lila Cheney appear. She can sing at Scott and Jean's wedding. Like, she can be having this concert in the park where Xavier gets shot at. And She's not pregnant with a trick baby. <laughs> She's not pregnant with her son and grandson and grandsons. <laughs> and yeah. Wow. Okay. I-, I just really need to commend you because I remembered recently talking about Guido in another X-Men Unlimited. So I knew I had the notes in a document. Thought about what it was. It's the Madrox multi parter dude you called that exactly right like issue by issue he first appears in new mutants 29 not lila's first appearance of the annual he first appears in new mutants proper in the arc exactly as you said now he then does appear in interim x-men issues 259 260 270 273 274 278 and 280 before joining x-factor but and this was a treat that i was excited to find there was actually a magic based like magic with a C, not magic with a K, magic based Marvel miniseries in 1988 called Spellbound, written by Louise Simonson, at that time credited as Louise Jones, oh. featuring appearances of the New Mutants and Lila Cheney and a whole bunch of other characters. And it's just this weird little miniseries called Spellbound, didn't really catch on. And the main character was a young, blonde, kind of dazzler looking witch named Spellbinder. And it's something that I feel like you and I would very much enjoy covering on this show at some point. It's just this weird little bit of Marvel magic history that we sort of missed out on. Um, That sounds amazing. And I am like, is that on? <laughs> it is not on Unlimited. Trust oh, me, no. I looked. <laughs> okay. I was like, is that on Unlimited? Because that sounds amazing and I need to read it because holy shit, like, wow. Yeah. But wow. I just didn't know about Spellbound. Okay. But yeah, those X-Men appearances too also were like where he finds Dazzler outside a house and then he's in that Dazzler issue where Eric Beale's like I love you to death and then yeah and then he goes to Muir Island that's wow holy hell that's all he appeared really wow that's crazy exactly which is you know it's all the more magical that X-Men Unlimited has been serving up so much minor character magic and I loved getting to see Dazzler put up on a pedestal as an example of that's who to be. And there was something so MTV's next about this reality dating show. Yes. You know, this really felt like so I can't believe that I did such a disservice to this incredible creative team who we have been praising in not just this episode, but for months now. This was written by Jason Liu with art by EJ Sue, colors by Antonio. Antonio Fabela and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. And I just want to, as always, give credit to the production team of Annie Chang and Tom Smith III, because these are predominantly digital books. The production matters. This has just been such a pleasure because I don't know when I've gotten a chance to see Layla Miller other than X-Men Unlimited. True. Layla only appeared as a kind of an annoying character in X-Core for like a hot minute. She's like, why aren't you home? And Jamie Madrox is like, babe, I got stuff to do. All of me have got many stuff to do. <laughs> yeah, like send one of you home. <laughs> but anyway, it's amazing. I love that we have this infinity line and that we were able to get a nice look at Lila Cheney and who she is and the fun she represents. And like you mentioned before, like she's she's fun, but she's also got this real edge of hard truth to her, which like Dazzler's fun, but I don't see Dazzler as much, you know, like going out and telling people what they need to hear, but she probably would tell people what they want to 
to hear, but Lila is going to go out and she's going to tell you what you need to hear. <laughs> and I think part of that is sort of like when Dazzler does Rocker Chick, Dazzler does Rocker Chick and we love it. It's so cute. It's really fun. It's hip. It's edgy, but it's always those things. It's never genuine. Yeah. And that's not that she's not genuine, but Rocker isn't Dazzler. Dazzler's everything. Yeah. And, you know, there's something very Joan Jett about Lila Cheney. She's got that authentic dirtiness. She's got that backroom brawler sort of knows how to get laid on a jukebox that I'm looking for from a woman that looks like she doesn't wash her hair. <laughs> yeah, great way to think about it. Like, Lila is the Joan Jet and Dazzler is the Pat Benatar. We're like Dazzler can do the same yeah. stuff, but like she's also like got that opera singing. That, yep, yeah. Yep, yeah. 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 And those those stronger pop sensibilities where Joan Jet's all about like, how do I make this rock? How do I make this fuck out? Like, yeah, exactly. So we also got some amazing, amazing cameos in this book, the likes of which I felt that we were maybe over entitled from. Like this was somebody read my mind and gave me wind dancer and shark girl in the same issue this is like unfair because if i'm getting my yes. way this much someone else isn't these are comics made for our group and we're like just in love with them so much they're made for us <laughs> yes and it's just like it's the sassy relaxed way yeah. that shark girl is sitting so comfortably there isn't any unfair pretense shark girl isn't being asked to be someone different and that's like the promise of Krakoa that you and I have been so giddy over. I love it. I love that for Shark Girl. Krakoa, you can tell, has grown her into a confident young woman, whereas before she was struggling. How do you not struggle to live in the human world when you look like a shark? Like now, now she's in a place where it's accepted and where she's accepted and beloved. And she's part of this team who brings joy to Krakoans through their music and it's just it's joyous to see her be so unabashedly herself and so so comfortable the way she's sitting right there uh, like first off like she bisexual because that's how she's sitting and she's so amen comfortable. <laughs> amen she got man spread i'm all about it i love it i love wind dancer being this like genius public relations yes. person that she's been showing up as and sign me up for all of it because i love this for her like she obviously never was as much at home in the action as much you know maybe more in the academy x days but like you know like now she's like i've been through the shit and i don't want to go out there and do action but i want to do something and i want to have a purpose and they gave her a purpose and i love it well her purpose is clearly to torture poor lila because <laughs> this trio of dates like i just want to start out with if i get a chance to write at marvel anytime soon i'm writing sites i'm like unbelievably obsessed with this character his good heart this idea that he has this very subtle power and he's a good listener that's so attractive. And so we also get some really unattractive in the form of these dates. Now, <laughs> before we get to the dates, did Sight have the same effect on you? Like, I mean, he literally made me feel starry-eyed. Like, Sight's first off, like, I wanted him to hook up with Lila Chaley by the end of this issue. But, you know, maybe maybe he's a little young for her, but I don't know, as I stopped her in the past. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know. It's hard to tell how old these characters are supposed to be. I don't want to ship an age inappropriate relationship. So like if he's too young for her, then let him just be fine. But like Zeitz is amazing. And I I love that Lila in going out and doing this was able to find and bring another Krakoan home. And to Zeitz, she's always going to be the hero who brought Zeitz to the place where he could be himself. So I love that for her. I would love it if Sites and iBoy became Sage's assistants because I feel like Sage needs people who can feed her information in a way she can't obtain it otherwise. And that would just be two characters that I think Sage would show love to. And they could also get those badass Sage sunglasses. And it would be awesome because Sites' eyes would stick out around them. And Sites, a little bit part of it, I was like, I was like, wait, is Sites Elalorian? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, he's a listener? What? <laughs> Digging that reference. I love it. I love everything about the design and the concept. I love the fact that we are getting to know more of these mutes who are non-combatants. I love I love seeing all of those sides of it. We didn't see a lot of that before. We, You look at classic X-Men. The only chance we ever really got to see with us was the girl who was at the Heartbreak Hotel in the Beauty and the Beast miniseries who flunked out of Westchester because she could only turn flowers into different color flowers and i hope she's out there living her best life decorating krakoa right now oh i love that that's like and i love that you said decorating krakoa you didn't say that you know she's found a better purpose no everybody gets to have exactly their purpose uh i love that so much you know who has no purpose tyler and you know what Uh. i'm never gonna listen to sunshine state of mind I don't want your California white boy ape <laughs> crap of Empire State of Mind. You take that shit and you go back to California. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sunshine State of Mind. What the fuck is that? Is the name of an album. I love that she got outplayed by trying to promote, <laughs> promote her new EP. She ran into somebody trying to do the same thing and he couldn't even recognize her. And she's like, you don't even know who I am. <laughs> and that's one of the things that's like so fun about this Krakoan age they're making Lila seem like any other musician there wasn't us she's got to hide that she's a mutant angle here she yeah. just gets to be any musician promoting her album just like Tyler the scumbag <laughs> Yeah, yeah. When she said you plugged enough of your media, you plugged your mediocre music enough. Date's over. <laughs> I was like, yes, Lila, yes. And that dress she's wearing there is so reminiscent of her. Um, I, I the only way I can describe it is her cherish look from you know when she was teaming up with Deathbird. Yeah, oh, love I love it. that. Yeah. You know who I didn't love? Oh, <laughs> I did not love Dennis from Toledo, Ohio. This Friends of Humanity, Sons of the Serpent, Chris Evans wannabe looking racist mutant hating white supremacist bag of shit motherfucker who i just like you know and this is something i am aware that it has to do with agents and i'm aware that it has to do with creating good television but why would you fucking go on this show if you're if you're wearing a fucking friends of humanity shirt why would you fucking go on this show that's clearly what that foh is that's clearly what those fucking sons of the serpent tattoos are why would you go on this show and like 
it's so silly that I'm getting so heated about this fictional character doing this thing, but it's such a clear parallel to things we've experienced that we've seen on reality shows where you know there's a possibility you're going to get put with somebody of another race. So why are you coming on this show all sorts of ugly and racist about it? I understand what you're saying, and I agree with you because Dennis is the worst. And at first, his first like when we first saw him in the first panel, I didn't look closely enough to see the FOH shirt, and I was like, oh, okay, he could be cute, I guess. I don't know. He looks like he's racist, and then like two seconds later, oh, he is racist. <laughs> so yeah, no, um. I, I don't know, especially if anybody had seen the first episode or, or one of the episodes where they put somebody with Dazzler. Like, you'd think that somebody would be like, hey, I could be running into a mutant. And maybe that's why he did it, because he wanted to spread his fucking hatred for mutant kind. But, like, I was like, ew, the Friends of Humanity are back. That's gross. Especially because the Friends of Humanity as a concept are something that I think we we know is coming. We yeah. know that it's due to see a resurgence and to have it break out into this fight sequence. But man, no quote unquote X-Man showed up. I was like, yeah, this fucking team, man. I'd read their book. I'd so read this fucking Lila Cheney is a super fucked up version of Gem and the Holograms. This is (laughs) so great. Their drummer is an actual shark girl. What the fuck you got that's so great? And like- It's so amazing to see the unquestioned agency of characters in this age. Something that we've always struggled to see is our faves have an opportunity to shine, but now they've got as much panel time as we can scroll. And Jason Liu has spent the last year delivering character moments like this. Yeah, I, you know what? I love that series, and I would even think like you could have Dazzler on as a subordinate because I think in a Lila Dazzler dynamic, Lila always has to come out on top because Lila's the one who gave Dazzler the break when Dazzler was like out it as a mute. So like I don't know, but like I ah, but I love I love Shark Girl and Lila's interaction together. They should always kick ass together because fuck yeah, I need at least a whole issue where they go on tour together at, out there with uh, DJ and like everybody else. I'm like. I need it. Something I would really love to see, and I so rarely do this kind of thing, but, you know, if Marvel does happen to want to see people get to explore more of these things, I would love to see maybe even digital-only annuals that's like a Marauders annual, but the Marauders are only kind of in it. It's really about Lila and her team and the Marauders intersect in space and Immortal X-Men annual, but it's really about this other person that makes sense to intersect with that team, Amelia Vaught, and, you know, Xavier and Magneto happen to be in it. There is something that we're all clamoring for from this and that Marvel sees it enough to give it to us in Unlimited really fills me with hope that Krakoa is really about the unbridled limitlessness that they've promised. Agreed. I agree. I love what we've seen, and I really hope they keep using this format to further these underserviced mutant characters. Even X-Men Green, for everybody's maybe not love in the way of the direction of the story, it really highlighted some characters. It really highlighted, you know, Lin Lee in a way that we hadn't seen her highlighted in a while. So they are using this to really develop some characters. Like, after that, we got a Deadpool run. You know, he doesn't have a book right now, so I guess that was a good way to keep him going. But 
but like they really are using this to highlight characters we had when we had the the cassidy story too like those are characters that we don't get to see interact as much because the books that they might appear in don't really call for that type of interaction it's just, it's great to see this and it's great to see the unlimited format style the limited name being used for that same kind of anthology that it used to be in the 90s but in a lot more digestible pieces i could not agree more and I have a panel that I've just been waiting to talk with you this whole time. The last fucking, I guess we'll call it page, that giant panel of the concert. Holy shit, that cast potential is something else. I think that's Mercury, Jubilee, Chamber. I have no idea, but I hope I look that good in a sarong. Uh, she Annalise. looks amazing. I want, like, I need her. Like, yeah. <laughs> if, like, I don't know. Maybe we can just call her, like, badass cheetah print girl, and I'm yeah. totally in. We have Annalie, Mondo, Rain, Wind Dancer, Karma, Glob Herman, and Sink. This is the greatest fucking team ever! Is that Karma or Armor? Because I, could oh, I couldn't okay. tell because I was just like, the leg. Yeah, you know, I projected that it was Karma because I associate Karma with these students because of her time in New Mutants Volume Same. 2. But Armor was also a really huge presence at that point, And she would definitely play into this group of fan favorites that find themselves celebrating out this issue. How excited were you when you saw this unbelievable, like, Gen X meets New Mutants who's who? I lived for it. I was like, okay, cool. I need a whole miniseries just about the... I need... You know what? I need a whole six-issue miniseries in print about the ongoings of the Green Lagoon. And Sites is the new bartender. And thankfully, Anole is a little too young to be a bartender. Is not a bartender anymore. Now they've got Sites. I want to see a Fred and Sites book and give it to me now. And have all of these characters come in and talk about their day. And it could just be talking about their day and tell no other story. And I would be the happiest motherfucker alive. And I want to ask you a question about your happiness and about how this might have secretly been tied to your happiness with ex-lady murder squad. I keep forgetting if it's exterminators or extremists or ex-stab them to death, (laughs) but... I'm really wondering if in some ways, maybe this was an editorial test balloon. It's got some of the same characters, some of the same ideas, but I think what this did suffer from was a limitedness to explore that bigger picture and... This just got me stoked for Exterminators. Uh, yeah, Exterminators. Like, literally, you know, I messaged you the second it came out. I was like, Nico, I have to do this. Yes. Out. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, not only is it Dazzler, Boom Boom, and Jubilee, and Laura, holy hell, like, what a fucking team. It's like a grindhouse horror comic at the same time. Hell, yeah. Like, oh, my God. This is like, ah. And not to be that dude, but it's written by a woman. And yeah. if you're going to try and subvert grind house tropes right because i am a huge horror buff and as much as we celebrate the role of the woman in the horror film women have been unfairly kept out from behind the camera of the horror cinematic revolution far too frequently so putting leah williams in the driver's seat like i mean as a person who champions women in comics both on the page and off the page getting a chance to see a woman behind this book must be a dream come true for you 
Oh, absolutely. I know there's a lot of people in fandom who have some issues with Leah. I think that she's done always done her best. And whenever she's made a mistake and maybe a portrayal or something, she's always come out. And if she's ever offended anybody, she's always apologized and tried to learn from that. And that's a lot more than you can say for um, a lot of other creators who have done a lot worse. Um, and say it, men. Yeah. If you call out a man for doing something like that, usually they're not going to say, oh, my bad. Like, they're going to say, oh, psh, you're just being sensitive. She's like, she listened. She took the criticism to heart, took, you know, and is trying to evolve from that. And that's all we can do as humans when we make mistakes. And sometimes we don't always realize our privilege is going to get in the way of how we see a story going. And she, and I think that could have been what happened with her at the end of X Factor. And I think she has really tried to apologize for it and to make up for it in that way. So seeing a writer able to go through that kind of emotional growth is amazing because you don't see a lot of creators out there who are able to take that time to listen and try to grow from their mistakes. I think that's such a beautiful way to explore that idea so succinctly. And the thing that I notice is Jason Liu managed to write a story about Lila Cheney going on like a speed dating system. <laughs> yes. And, you know, it somehow managed to kind of almost pass the Bechdel test. Kind of. You know, it doesn't exactly, but there's plenty of women and right. they talk about things that aren't just men. They talk about things that are about their personalities outside of this situation they find themselves in for professional reasons. Right. So I don't know. This might have been up there with the Banshee story is just like, how good are these one offs going to be? They're kind of putting some of the print comics that I'm seeing Marvel do, you know, they're kind of putting them on their toes. These Infinity Unlimited stories are really challenging my expectations in an excellent way. They are, and I love that, especially as, I mean, like, we, we've we've all been honest about this. The Infinity comics are, like, a value-added program to Marvel Unlimited. Like, you're not going to really sign up for the Infinity comics. You're going to sign up for it for the vast quantity of Marvel back issues on the site and the service. And to actually get these issues, which are of such great quality and which are able to help further the discussion on characters, especially right now when we are in the midst of a huge paper shortage for the industry that's causing massive delays, you know, just to have this service coming out, these comics coming out that we can count on, we can rely on and get exploration of characters that we wouldn't have is amazing. Because, yeah, fucking mic drop, the paper shortage. I've never been so grateful for this unlimited infinity program because yeah we're having trouble sometimes doing whole weeks of content because yeah. even though we cover pretty much everything but the avengers books and the spider books at this point we're still struggling to cover everything because sometimes even despite that three new books came out and it's so fascinating to see how this is all going to shake out but man if we keep getting infinity comics like this to cover i don't think we're going to have any trouble filling our space i don't think so either from x-men unlimited and the amazing gems we've seen in it to like the fun stories like alligator loki or marvel mew or like the primers that have been coming out about characters that have been a great way great intro point into characters to avengers forever to just all of these other infinity comics that are out there they're just they're adding so much richness to the marvel comics universe that we wouldn't necessarily be able to get if we were trying to do them as print stories they would have to have you know a strong entry point for sales you know these these stories don't necessarily have to do that. I love that. That is such a great point. They just get to be fun. Yeah. And
And speaking of comics that still see themselves in print, we have our second room of coverage of X-Men Red coming up next. And no, Nathan, I know you were on that first room and I was like, there's going to be nothing left for anyone else to talk about because they did such an incredible job exploring every fucking page. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, you know what? I want to talk about the the ring. And I mentioned that. And then still this room managed to give us like 45 minutes of content that has nothing to do with what we've already discussed. And I just have really loved seeing Storm rise back into prominence. It's a it's a testament to the writing that we could come up with so much to eloquently talk about. And there's still probably so much that we even left off the table in trying to hit time limits. You could probably have a whole room talk for two hours and not get to every point. I completely agree. But until we come back to talk more about the incredible X line as it continues to evolve under the destinies of X, Nathan, where can everybody find you online? Uh, you can find me at... Twitter and Instagram at Dazzler AOA like Dazzler in the Age of Apocalypse and I said that over and over but Dazzler AOA Hey, it's your name you get to say it <laughs> You guys can, as always, find me over here on X's for Podcast, but don't forget to keep an eye out for The Billy Club, my new show with contributor Tori Sheehan, where the two of us take a look at every Daredevil story increment by increment. You can check that out over on YouTube, as well as my contribution to the incredible Young Men in Love anthology. I can't believe I get to be part of a book featuring the incredible talents of Cena Grace, Anthony Oliveira, Terry Bloss, Joe Glass, and more. You guys can check that out in June. Otherwise, don't forget to look me up on Twitter and Instagram. Instagram at Nico Action, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N, or the show at X's for Podcast. And until next time, guys, enjoy this last segment. Keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakoan gateways open. Remember, Unlimited are comics too, and we'll see ya. I was very confused about why Magneto left the Quiet Council and if it was really all about this Moira nonsense because it seemed below his threshold for like stepping back from a major leadership role among mutants. Between that and not seeing any kind of conversation between him and his husband, like I would have loved to see a scene where Eric and Charles like have an argument about the fact that he's like, I'm too tired to do this. I must leave. And Charles is like, no, you can't. I need you on the council and I need you to be here with me. And Eric it's just like, no, I can't, honey. I'm sorry. The beautiful thing about it is that it's a story that has to be told. I don't mind that we're not getting that right out of the gate, but it is so like Magneto and Charles have been side by side since House and Powers one, right? Like mm -hmm. this whole era, the whole thing about Inferno was that they were underhandedly, you know, coordinating with Moira or what have you. So we know where Moira's at, and this is obviously where Magneto's at so the big question is where the hell is Eric because by the logic of like I need to leave the council then so should Charles and they could just be opening up a bed and breakfast I want the breakup I want the dramatic exit I want the you know no more tears left to cry like montage honey give it to me but in the meantime I love that we're seeing Magneto starting fresh getting a sweet new little place ocean views and meeting this I'm not gonna say toothless because he's got enough teeth but 
but honey, not all of them. But he's still working it. He's hot. He's carrying fish and a spear. And I don't know. He smells of rebound. Get it, Magneto? <laughs> In fairness, I think he's only missing one tooth. But... <laughs> Yeah. Which is pretty good for growing up in like the pit prisons of the vial or whatever. Yeah, Correct. He, he's got enough for me. So I actually do really want to see like, you know, the breakup episode. But I will say that part of me wonders if he feels the need to start over again. You know, is this because he feels broken down because of after all of the hard work he's put into this nation of safety for his people? that after turning over leaf you know one two three four times he's still seen as magneto leader of the brotherhood of evil and enemy of the x-men is that affecting him now i mean i can only speculate but i would believe that that would tear a normal person down you know and and is this the crack in that armor for him i think that's a great read like, i'm heartbroken for him and honestly between him and emma they've had to restart hit the refresh button so many times between the two of them and you know magneto's been around even longer like it's bound to eventually break you down i just want to say really quick that magneto is a master architect because i'm living for this lovecraft castle that he created oh i love it and it's like a callback to island m which was like yes. place yet you see the tentacles they do make a couple of little subtle m's you know right and like, well still like you know and he's got this like fisherman daddy he's like oh baby i got an aesthetic you're gonna live honey you've never seen this is right my, you this like is like this is my think... you'll love my hamptons motif get into it the Fisher King is like his rebound, right? Well, it definitely seems that way because he themed his new little palace after, you know, a fishy theme. So all I'm reading from here is that, you know, he's he's trying to move on the best way he can from his one daddy to another silver daddy. This is the most phallic palace. Such a phallic palace. And uh, like <laughs> low-key petty as hell because he can't wait for Charles Xavier to come pop over for a video. <laughs> Oh my god, the gaggery. This is my new boyfriend. His name is Fisher King. I built this castle for him. Yes, yeah. Don't mind the three huge phalluses. It's all good. Yes, yes, honey. Stefano Caselli, shout out to him because the nine panel spread of Magneto's monologue, where he is while monologuing, making these beautiful hand gestures and manipulating metal and creating his whole fucking palace, was just gorgeous. It was chef's kiss. You're like, the emotions on his face oh. are just so, they're readable. Like you look at them and you're like, he is a man who is disappointed. Yeah. And like reading it digitally, just going panel by panel, it, when you just do it quickly after you read it the first time it it feels animated and there's like a point where he like pauses and like kind of looks over his shoulder and says all that i've lost like it is absolutely beautiful and then when you pull out and look at the nine page spread it's just masterful it's like the kind of panel you would love to have on your wall animated was perfect it really does seem that way because the whole time you're reading this you're like holy shit we're just watching him move and create this this castle or whatever he was building and then you see the castle 
castle afterwards and you just it translated so flawlessly on panel that what you said was so true you watched the movement when he says all that i've lost like i am also with you guys that i want to see like the actual conversation the actual moment where he breaks but i do think about like the last sort of since the hellfire gala up to like inferno 4 and like magneto has kind of been through it like Mm -hmm. the scarlet witch of it all like they had to concoct this plot and like you know there's all of the emotional trauma there there's like trying to redeem his family she like dies in the process like resurrection's a mess she almost kills everybody again and he has to like make toad take the fall for it like you know it's just like i feel like he's been and then obviously all of inferno where like him and charles died and like they lost moira and lost more than that they lost like their power over the council he's just like in a flop era and i Mm -hmm. think that's why he's like rebuilding and starting with max right like he needs to get back to himself and not have kind of the delusions of grandeur right and not to mention the genocide of genosha while he was the ruler and not to mention like the holocaust like he's taken a lot of l's the latest of l's right when fisher king is talking about like being you know in the the vile pits or whatever and like surviving like it felt like that was kind of an illusion and max him saying him using the the name max instead of eric yeah for me was kind of like a callback to that it's like so significant anybody has started fresh changed your life transitioned moved started a new career whatever sometimes you go by a different name and like that was very this for me it was kind of like if he's been stripped of so much he's stripping off one more thing and he's gonna make a go of it as max on a rocko yeah i appreciated that turn back to this core piece of who he is you know before he was magneto before he was eric lensha he was max max eisenhardt a very very good german jewish boy it's beautiful to see this moment of connectivity that he has with fisher king daddy where fisher daddy says i was in these prisons i was tortured i was there and it seems like you were somewhere too and he's like i mm -hmm, but i don't want to talk about it being in the presence of someone who knows the kind of trauma that you've been through in that way to be able to talk to someone to connect with someone whose trauma lines up with your own in that way and be seen it must be very powerful for him the person running the prisons is Tarn the Uncaring, and he sits on the Great Ring of Arako. Mm-hmm. I think part of the promise of X-Men Red is this kind of liberatory moment where, like, it's not just that, like, oh, I think there's an understanding that, oh, the Arako, like, the Iraqi, they're just, like, kind of roughneck and, like, out here swinging. What does that mean to be a people under siege for thousands of years and having lost for a couple of hundred years i was just reading x-men 17 where after the ten of swords and iska says like the great ring is our government and it has been for thousands of years except for the fallow years which is when annihilation takes over arako and people like tarn are used to subjugate them and to spy on them like he was very much like nazi vassal state and there's like a secret police element too to like the vile but you know to meet someone who's been through that and then you're 
connecting the idea that like oh wait the person who did such immense harm to you and also Kobach Neverheld who we can get to later like is governing and to what we were talking about with Iska if Iska gets them to go to war and then she betrays them and they lose Tarn is consulted like that is who holds the seat of loss it's like the worst possible option like he's useful because he's like scary and powerful but also like if things go awry the person you don't want in charge as we saw in hellions is tarn and Mm -hmm. i feel like magneto is going to get to a question of well wait why are you even given authority in this realm that's a really great parallel to the question of sinister on the quiet council too though because he's only there because of the genetic database that he's profiled and the the role that he plays in the resurrection process it speaks quite loudly to the fact that that is the only reason he's there but that's a compromise that Krakoa is willing to make what is it about Tarn that he is the compromise that they're willing to make especially when he seems to be worse like he Mm -hmm. is a walking trauma for millions of Iraqi you know Mm -hmm. there's like 20 million of them or something like that like he's just like a walking trauma for them and it's a dick he's hilarious and a (laughs) fabulous like villain and I love that when Sinister comes across like his opposite you know his the Iraqi (laughs) version of him his immediate instinct is he falls in love and decides I'm gonna clone a version of myself that's kind of like a hotter version of you like <laughs> fucking sinister is the best oh yes i love villains Agreed. yes they're horrible people they're they're villains they're you know no good but they make for fun stories so <laughs> right right i absolutely i'm on board with that too broadway you mentioned kobak never held and honey i want to hug him but i think it would really hurt and that is Agreed. my segue our segue into the red lagoon which much like um, uh, the Rainforest Cafe is not actually a rainforest, the Red Lagoon is not actually a lagoon. It's basically a Star Wars cantina, and I live mm-hmm. for that. Like, it's mm-hmm. literally the same kind of layout, the round bar in the middle, like which is like any other bar, but it definitely has that Star Wars vibe. I, I just want to say that when you guys were mentioning Kobach, I actually forgot who that was, and the only reason why is because in my notes, I have him written down as chestnut because he reminds me of the pokemon i wrote him down in my notes as chestnut and then i forgot to put his actual real name great character design but like the detail that i absolutely live for is that he's wearing literally like either a thong or maybe perhaps a jockstrap i think you would call this a thong and like the crotch is like rocks i actually don't think he's wearing anything that's also it just looks like it looks like the muscle that makes boys stupid yeah those are just his obliques yeah those (laughs) Ooh, his oblique queer man running around with no underwear on at a bar groundbreaking oh my god yeah never heard of deeply relatable i have no idea i've never seen it before i do appreciate that ewing gave us like daddy's trauma bonding and then like they're like protégés also trauma bonding and being gay and i was like oh my god yes like i i just appreciate that from like a storyboarding perspective 
I also appreciate that Kobach is an immediate gay icon telling us about yes! like, the trauma oh of, his, of his lover back in like, oh, I live. Yes. Yeah. Yes. My only issue is that it's another like gay romantic tragedy and we've had so many of those, but oh, but he's so pretty. I'll take what I can get. Yeah. And and I'm looking forward to him falling in love again, hopefully. I want I hope <laughs> he sticks around. I would love to see him stick around. Absolutely. I really loved his line when somebody was asking him to help help roberto in a one-on-one fight i'm not going to insult a man i've only just met like that was <laughs> right, that was such like right. oh the subtext was like i might fuck him later i'm not sure the mm-hmm, vibe is right. unclear my gator is like <laughs> but we're playing you know we're playing it fast and loose everything's on the table and i'm certainly not going to start insulting him honey chill out I actually do think that if we're ever going to get queer Beto, it's going to be this book. I, mm. I hope like, so. I or want it to happen. X-Men, I guess. I've been wanting it to happen. I just, oh my gosh, he reads so queer to me. It would be amazing to have a queer Latino character. And this is the time, in my opinion. And, and I love that he's looking to like start a disco on a Rocco. Like, I love that he's just like, for the culture, honey. And he mentions David Mancuso, who is a queer legend. legend. Like, I fully just, thank like, you, legend. Like, thank you. This is I, what like, I'm really saying. I really did a deep dive because I was like, I need yeah. to know about this person. And then I'm like, oh, he was DJing at the Loft in Paradise Garage and all that, and sort of putting all. Oh, okay, one of the girls got it. And I love that this is also a callback to like Planet Size X Men, and there was all the celebrations, and then the after party was at Araco. I love like mm-hmm. like it had just started existing, and that was. Like, like the immediate vibe and like i'm definitely like a kid of the nightlife and there's something utopian and there's something about like peace and love and unity and you know all of that like within the culture and and within the layers of like dance and and subcultures and after parties and gay culture and just the fact like ewing's doing something with that that's interesting and that sunspot is the one that like has yeah just tends across the board well it shows how much he potential he sees for Iraqo and for Iraqi people and you know what kinds of gathering places are necessary for a community to thrive and we're not just gathering around warfare and death you know what other kinds of spaces do we need and and you know just to kind of parallel it's a conversation happening in the queer community as well if we're not just going to bars if the bars are closing in mass what kinds of spaces do we need so that we can come together and so that we can thrive i think exactly it's really cool seeing Bido thinking about these things and thinking about what is contemporary Iraqo culture and how can we bring people together around these ideas because this book is really trying to ask that question in several different ways and there's such a cool parallel to Krakoa right like like if Krakoa is going to have Charles and it's going to have the Green Lagoon which I live for but you know let's face it it's a tiki bar it's cool that Iraqo has Magneto and Storm and you know a burgeoning disco underground scene that's gonna go mainstream i live for it well and krakoa is on earth and by virtue of the fact that it's on earth there's a degree to which it has to assimilate to earth politics and and ways of doing things that Araco doesn't need to do Araco can be separatist Araco can be anti-assimilationist because there aren't enough humans on the planet to make them assimilate to anything 
its stance can be a little more guarded and defensive. It doesn't need to have the unending altruism that groups like the X-Men needed to have in order to prove themselves to, again and again, problematically, to humanity. Right. Krakoa has to coexist, even if it is separate. The thing about Arako, like this whole new fresh planet, is here it is. Here's paradise. Here's peace. Something is fucked up y'all fucked it up you can't blame anything you can't talk about whatever came before and everybody is challenged with okay it's a fresh slate but i still we still bring our experiences our trauma our you know fight or flight or all of that baggage what can we make of this fresh start but we've yet to like really explore it and i love that we're tackling it from a couple of different angles right out of the gate to do a little referencing here in sword number nine that's when actually we first see kobak never held fighting storm and he poses the same challenge that nameless does which is like how can you rule when you were not there initially it just seems like oh he's spicy because storm thinks she's coming in and she's hot shit and then you're reading this and it's like no like he was there he was in the prisons his lover died and he says we thought against the vial right so there was again a whole element of like kind of secret police i think they called them vile omnipaths right like using Mm -hmm. telepathy to like spy on the populace in a way that reminds me actually of the black brain telepaths in life nine i want to say with apocalypse and moira Mm -hmm. shocker it was the queer couple that fought out and were punished for it and so like it gives weight to his sense of of anger and pride that storm would come in and and seemingly just take space that she hasn't earned and sort of announce herself as seemingly the ruler Uh, yeah it's those little things like and you can just like see his exhaustion on his face as he's talking to Virto. but you know he also said he stopped crying after that just he's hard now well and speaking of anger pride and taking space that's the intro to vulcan arguably the most damaged summer's brother Mm. but let's be honest they're all within spitting distance of each other going from reading him so recently in Mortal X-Men. It just was so jarring to see the complete switch in personality. That was fine. I actually think it was relatively in character, to be honest. It's just interesting because they do mention that he's degrading, you know? Like, his his mind is degrading. Well, and I love that there's still that tension, uh, and he specifically screams as loud as he can, I never died. Because there was the question of did he die and was he resurrected, or are we... and it seems pretty clear that this is this is the one who survived. This is the real deal. Shi'ar have sort of triggered all of that because you notice like he isn't immediately like enraged until the person doesn't recognize him. And then from then on, more or less, like once he says, I never died, he has all of that like classic Vulcan energy coming out of his eyes and mouth. Mm-hmm. It is interesting the parallel between, as you said, taking up space, where like Vulcan did do what Storm is being accused of, which is like to go into space and kill the ruler and then take the space empire. And so the parallels between even Vulcan and Storm, not just Storm and Abigail, are really interesting. And I'm I'm excited to see those played out. But I also like reading that bit where he says, I never died in the context of the fact that like he went to Krakoa and he never died that first time and he was left for dead. 
it. And that's happened to him a number of times now. And it seems like something to explore within the the shape of his character is that like he much to his like resentment, it seems like is the constant survivor of these these horrific things. It's it is a little weird to me because it felt like there was a line drawn in the sand. It was like, okay, everybody from this point forward is fair game. So therefore you would get cameos and whatever and whatever. John Proudstar, Thunderbird. After we get some Sunspot and Vulcan interaction, here comes Thunderbird. And this is a character who would not have been resurrected, right? Like that's why there is a statue of him in Central Park. Uh, And yet here he is. So, eh, I mean, they've created this literary device that we can use to like bring anybody back and, you know. I'm not getting too caught up in it. Whatever had to happen to get Thunderbird here, I am so fucking here for it. Because there have been little vignettes and little stories and whatever to, like, make what you can. But, like, the character we know is Warpath, who was angry because of Thunderbird's death. And who was cast as a Hellion and who kind of struggled with his own anger and demons. And, like, even in the most recent work in New Mutants by Vidal Ayala, God bless... Yes. We see mm-hmm. so much growth in him and how he is such a still a badass and a brawler and a force to be reckoned with, but the most gentle, soft boy, the most like loving, like self-reflective, like he is he's just evolved so beyond his name of Warpath and how he was introduced. Absolutely. And now we get his brother back, who ironically is now dressed in the outfit that his brother was wearing because of him like and he's the one that's angry and ready to throw fucking tables and rightfully so and trying to figure out where he fits into the gig and honey I can't even I loved everything about this I love that as we're talking about Araco and Krakoa I love that when he is called Krakoan it is legit uh, like borderline slur to him because Krakoa is not like the land of hope and promise from where he was resurrected although yes it is that for him that's where he was left to die mm. oh that's such a good point right that's such a good Summer's point brothers right yep. so like this might be all well and dandy but the last i remembered was this fucking island killed me bitch was he left to die by scott i thought that was vulcan's team and then scott came back with the new x-men team I think you can make the argument that Krakoa is the reason he was recruited to the X-Men right. and therefore the reason right. that he ultimately died. Yeah. Um, if Scott had been doing his job, the X-Men would have never been caught and he would have never been on that mission. Like, who knows? But like, the vibe for me was like, I got beef with two things that are alive. Krakoa and a Summers. Like, specifically Cyclops, but I'll take it out on See, any I'm, of y'all. I'm gonna be honest with you, I actually found his anger in Cyclops very misplaced it it actually kind of bothered me I really enjoyed it I just that's kind of the epitome of of John Proudstar in general and I'm not saying all of his anger is misplaced because (laughs) let's get real I mean but let's get real who who among us right like three-fifths of my anger is probably misplaced like that's human and I I love that we're seeing him struggle with that it's just 
just like, it's a great story. I'm so happy he's back. Of course. I just hope that we see that developed. Because otherwise, if it's just he's allowed to be angry at this person who, I'm going to be honest with you, I really do not believe did anything to him, then I, you know, I, I want to see that. I, I want to see why. I want to see his rationalization. Otherwise, I'm left in the same, you know, state that I was when he was introduced in the books and very quickly died, hating him because he was so angry all the time, but like in a bitter kind of un fun way to read you know what i mean i hear what you're saying but like i see this as like the pilot episode of the series and it's for very clearly to me setting up that trajectory for john right like him struggling with peace him kind of like trying to figure it out he's going to start off in a rough place he's going to get better it might get worse before it gets better but like i live for i'm glad he's there and i'm glad there's somebody just ready to throw a table at somebody and be like i mean honestly I will say it was amazing to watch. So, so yeah, I agree with yes, that. Yes. There's also like a really complex layering of trauma here. Yeah. And yeah. I'm going to try to engage this in a way that is like, does it justice? But like, we do have to recognize that like, John Proudstar, much like Jimmy, is an indigenous man, and of so course. there's a lot of trauma-based rage that often does not, and I can say as a black man, like, that's a thing that, like, I experience sometimes where you're just pissed the fuck off, and there's no proper outlet for it. And then you compare that to Vulcan and how pissed John Proudstar is when Abigail Brand is like, maybe we can find him a job on the station, and that, to me, is fascinating fascinating because there's a way in which like obviously the mutant metaphor has racial connotations and i think about how krakoa offers for so many of its villains so many of these like people that are either you know Mm -hmm. outright sociopathic like empath or like sort of conditioned and socialized into violence through their oppression so many of them do much better once they have like a job now i don't know if that's gonna work for vulcan but it's worked for proteus right like something that is therapeutic and giving to his community that gives him a sense of purpose can be like liberatory not like that you need a job but like that you have something that gets you up and you can dedicate yourself to and we've seen the way that like compared to john proudstar jimmy has found that that mentoring that throughout all of his you know struggles like mentoring these kids has given him a moment to really kind of digest his trauma and digest what and synthesize right and to do something new and to find peace in that and i think that is really interesting i think the way in which that like john thinks that gabriel's a monster and like is not deserving is fascinating right that he can't even get out of his own like trauma bubble to to see that like oh this other person is actually struggling too from the same island no less but then you also have i mean i know that he's gonna have a giant size coming up and i am interested to see like how does he fit in this new world how does he dedicate himself to all of his peoples does he dedicate himself to all of his peoples maybe he stays with the apache i believe um Mm -hmm. but how does he find something to make being in this world work for him and hopefully when he does that will make him appreciate what vulcan is going through and also 
Cable, because you want to talk about somebody who's traumatized, like Cable's seen it all and had to take Warpath and make something out of him because John wasn't there. All of these very traumatized people, some of whom are related, can't see each other, is too real, but also like very real. Exploring that tension between Cable and and John is so brilliant because like Agreed. that is such a callback to like how Cable was introduced into continuity mm-hmm. in the first place and like I mean he really impacted Cannonball, Tabitha, Beto, certainly Jimmy, certainly Teresa, going back to like Jimmy's whole story and that was like kind of his redemption arc. So figure he went from Hellions which were kind of cast as I won't say villains but let's say antagonists. Yeah, the antagonists. The antagonists, right? He was then redeemed by being an X-Force which was like the illegal version of, you know, the X-Men. Like they were, you know, classified as terrorists canonically for like a certain time. Like Yeah, he was coded as kind of gray morally gray because he kept like occupying these morally gray spaces in the mutant mutant world but he was always there for the right reasons and like Mm -hmm. he just he's he's grown so much so i love that like going back to this like yeah i live for it right james was always my favorite of the hellions i loved that he has had so much growth and development and this i am so excited for john to come back because i want the interaction between them the whole reason why Jimmy, you know, joined these teams in the first place, but also because, you know, I I want John to be able to come to terms with, you know, his time away as well and like see how the world has shifted and see how Jimmy has evolved, you know. It's going to be rough going because his whole family has been just killed. This very interaction seems to uphold and reify some of his like fundamental reasons for being angry. I mean, Vulcan gets a job and he gets it's kicked off Araco right exactly. for a fight that he finished exactly. but didn't start exactly. and it's like are you kidding me with this i mean like exactly. optically ewing is doing some really really interesting and nuanced work if that was like a very intentional move on his part these are more logs in john's fire you know we've touched on tarn and sinister but speaking of sinister motherfucking villains honey let's get into the abigail brand of it all yeah because she's here doing her best norman osborne honey pulling a dark avengers she wants to put together her little like x-men team to like do some pr and use them for all of her like insidious purposes meanwhile like she's a full-blown pedal on orcus and everybody smells the bullshit everybody coming out of the vote storm smells the bullshit and she goes and destroys the throne of Araco with lightning everybody smells the bullshit sunspot smells the bullshit and and we get to the final scene, basically, which is over at, uh, let's call it by its proper name. Magneto has invested so much into this piece of real estate. It is the Autumn Palace. <laughs> it is the Autumn Palace. Which I... Beto, visionary that he is, walks in and says, number one, you need throw pillows. Number two, the acoustics are fierce, honey. Let's throw a key. And he said he was looking for a place with acoustics, specifically. Also, yes. to yes. 
Fisher King's point about, you know, Fisher King is asking, like, if you want to claim this space for your own exclusively, we might have a problem. And right. he notes that, you know, there's no doors, right? That everybody can just kind of walk into Magneto's right. place. And I appreciate just the just the little things like that. Right. That's a beautiful that open listening. door. That's a beautiful open door. Like, because that speaks to it. Like, if you want to build here and if you want to, like, contribute, wonderful, welcome. But if you're looking here to, like, cut to a piece of yourself. Right. Exactly. Colonize. Like, yeah, exactly. Then, you know, fuck off. I am wild about this moment where he tells Beto to tuck his shirt in. Oh, and also, oh my I, God. Like, yes. Have you been fighting, young man? Fighting? Yeah. That was so cute. He's I mean, to the rescue. He, he was his mentor back in the day. You mm-hmm. know, it was kind of a nice little throwback to that. I, and I love that he called them headmaster. And I love that Fisher King's reaction. Wait, 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 wait. Your Max and your Magneto and your Eric and your headmaster. How many names do you have? <laughs> it was so cute. So it, good. it really was. He played a really important role in the development of these kids' lives and the shaping of their their values and philosophies. There's a reason they they didn't wind up like Scott and Jean. You know, there's a reason they became X Force instead of like X Men. You know, Gold Team, Blue Team. So canonically, Magneto wasn't like the most effective headmaster, and like there may be a lesson there. Like the kids had a little more freedom, a little more autonomy. They weren't, I you know, I. Well, I didn't say it was good shaping. Right. (laughs) He was was, just pretty influential. It was definitely different than what Xavier had offered. Well, another reason why I really liked the scene with Beto coming to the Autumn Palace is because, you know, the point that I tried to make earlier about, you know, Magneto being beaten down by by all of those things, you know, about being, you know, considered a villain still, and it's just, he's never good enough. It's kind of nice that one of his students, when he was headmaster, is coming to him now. Maybe this is the thing he needs. I love that this because this wasn't an obvious lineup when you first saw it, right? When you first saw no, these folks all. in it. Mm-hmm. But right out of the gate, Ewing is drawing these parallels in a way that is just masterful. He's not knocking you over the head with it, but you're starting to see all of the potential story and conflict and and history and trauma that layers between these characters. And I live that the regent herself in the greatest costume redesign i think god damn yes of certainly the current century certainly maybe the millennium perhaps in comics history it's just so beautiful Mm -hmm. and oh my god texture her hair outdid himself with this everybody saw it everybody gagged months ago never seen so much great art so quickly so many people positively respond it's like a remix of all of her best looks and then taken to a whole other level and i love that this goes back to our opening scene where storm in again a fabulous look hellfire gala again a daughterman original iconic queen shit i'm sorry regent shit (laughs) fighting her nemesis who was the best version of herself in again arguably her greatest look her original look like the looks 
honey. Like, let's take it to the red carpet. Go. For a really long time, uh, Storm and I have had a very tenuous relationship. <laughs> I've had such a major disconnect with her. With her in this book, everything that I've seen, I have fallen in love with her again, the way that I used to feel about her. And I am so excited for this journey, you know, that for there are greater things to be than a queen was just such an epic moment you know like i cannot wait to see how she really proves herself when nameless right takes on her form she takes on her form as her peak self you know or what aurora viewed as her peak self and this i can't wait to see how she comes to the realization that she was not at her peak then maybe she's at her peak now the last like couple of pages here starting from the conversation with brand to the end really hits and one thing that hits for me is the parallel between you know right before x-men 15 right before scott and gene go to otherworld they say very mm -hmm. clearly you know you guys made a government and so that's like your job as the quiet council but krakoa is for mutants and the x-men are its heroes right and mm -hmm. so it is very fascinating that it's like on earth you have the x-men on Araco, you have the brotherhood but what really gets me about that is that there's a kind of i don't know iraqi people get characterized as tribal in like a negative way versus a kind of community and kind of anarchistic collective mm -hmm. like there's obviously a government but it's not super formal in that way but there is a sense of like brotherhood right in a way that is very different than and x-men and honor yeah and right? honor there's like this unspoken like understood like act right like i think storm wants to be a hero for these people but she understands that brand's understanding of the x-men is about sort of hierarchy and respectability and policing and that while magneto is often the leader of the brotherhood that was about sort of a different kind of politics and not everybody's politics in the brotherhood was cohesive but they were another version of heroes that matter for mm -hmm. other people not everybody obviously thought of magneto as a hero but for many people he was and so to build a brotherhood and be united and in community with the iraqi and not ruling them i thought was just really powerful especially coming from probably the i mean in the post black panther era like second most prominent black superhero but the character that was the most prominent black superhero for like 20 30 40 years Years, right and to have her be the one that's like no we're not gonna do this virtue signaling i mean mm -hmm. just sort of talented 10th if you're familiar with that we have to be the good ones to model that we're like worthy mm -hmm. I, I think that's really yeah. powerful and that hit me right yep. in the chest absolutely yeah i mean the brotherhood is specifically pro-mutant pro-separatist you can say anti-assimilationist you know whether we're talking about magneto's original brother Brotherhood of Evil or Mystique and Destiny's Brotherhood of Mutants, you know, they they were cast as the political alternative to what the X-Men were selling, which was assimilation, which was, you know, 
I guess you can argue model minority, you know, we Mm -hmm. do, we we protect the humans so that they won't fear and hate us. And we hope that by doing good, they'll fear and hate us less. They believe that Brand is going to gather her own X-Men and something needs to balance that, that really represents Arako. I liked the sort of description you gave Broadway of anarchistic vibe of Arako. It kind of reminded me of The Dispossessed, where you've got like Urus and Anaris, you've got the, the world that looks like ours that's very capitalist and you've got the inhabited moon that's very anarchistic and you know the examination of both those systems and finds them both wanting in a way but just they're each distinct and valid and can stand on their own i think it's a great thing to be exploring what brotherhood means to mutants on a mutant planet as for storm's look i mean it's paralleling that major shift that she went through after she stabbed Callisto, after she met yukio in japan and figured out that she was bi it's indicative of a major shift shift in her thinking and where she's putting her energy and how she how she's going to lead most especially i think and i'm really really excited to to see where where she goes from here i think ewing writes a great storm so i'm really excited to see where he takes her ewing writes great period i have nothing but faith in this book i mentioned earlier that i called it a pilot episode i feel like that's exactly Mm -hmm. what it is I want to be fed. I, 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 You know what? I'm not even going to jinx it. I'm not even going to beg the universe to deliver a hundred <laughs> issue run because nothing would make me happier than fast forward to, oh, issue 99 just came out. Let's talk about it because yes, give me the shit. Give me season one through six. Make it count. Let's go. But whatever we get, I'm not sure if this is an ongoing or if this is a maxi I am just living for it. Give it to me. I'm really hoping this is an ongoing. The the racial elements of the mutant metaphor are complicated, and sometimes people want more sort of overt racialized elements to it. And I was saying that, like, well, you know, you have Storm facing off against this, like, stank white lady bureaucrat who, again, believes in, like, a sort of kind of girl boss feminism where it's like Sheryl Sandberg feminism where it's like I could sit on top of, like, an evil capitalist machine like i could be evil but it's like cool because i'm a girl boss and storm is like no and one of the moments that really jumped out at that for me was when brand says when krakoa colonized mars and storm says i'll stop you there krakoa never colonized anything brand not only did she recognize that it's like mars is not the name of this place this place Mm -hmm. is Araco, but also Mm -hmm. sorry white lady you're not gonna tell me that i was just colonizing a planet like both in the literal sense that that's not what happened nobody was living there but also the kind of historical sense like you're sitting here saying that like this black woman is a colonial queen that's like, mm-hmm. it's insane and, and i love that storm is like no bitch yeah. we resurrected she's yeah. trying to make her culpable she's trying yes. to she's trying to make her like her she's trying to say like well you've colonized this planet so you've just joined the world of people who colonize things and storm is like no. And then Abigail Brand <laughs> acts like she's making a concession, but it's really a microaggression within a microaggression when she decides to, quote unquote, meet a row halfway and say, okay, when you appropriated Mars. Ugh. Right. The layers, honey. Oh, it's yeah. the My layers God. for me. Yes. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Fucking Al like... Ewing. Oh, y'all, this is such a good time to be an X Men fan. Let's fucking go.
I appreciate that Storm, while Brand thinks like, oh, like the Iraqi need an X-Men to like model for them how to behave Storm as the regent of Iraqo and the voice of Soul is like, no, they need heroes in part because they can't be dependent on on these like model citizens when the Shi'ar come. Like there has to be a collective culture that knows how to deal on the global or galactic stage and like your little sword station puppet x-men is not gonna do it so goodbye madam mm-hmm. yeah okay but i do want to just say i really want to see who the fuck abigail brand oh, like yes i think i think you Vulcan know is one it's of going to be yeah. a hot fucking mess you know that they are going to be a force to be reckoned with you know that they're all going to serve a purpose oh girl empath better better be keeping his phone on on alert because i bet abigail brand brand is going to try to get him up in there i wonder which team WizKid is gonna be on oh yeah for sure i have this dream of WizKid taking abigail down so i'm really hoping we get more of him oh Oh, my goodness i I would love to see him on the team 